Hello, welcome to From Every Tribe. My name is Jordan. In this episode, and I'm going to try and do this as fast as I possibly can. In this episode, I will be doing some reading, but I am going to also be doing some commentating and uh, bringing to light a issue that I think exists in light of these specific readings that I'm going to be reading. Now, what I'm going to be reading are two specific text, uh, specific LDS text, Latter-day Saints text. One of them is from Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, it's not one of the sections, but it's one of the official declarations. It's uh, Official Declaration 1. So you can find Official Declaration 1 at the back of Doctrine and Covenants after all of the sections. There's two official declarations. I'm going to be reading the first one. I'm going to be reading the first official declaration and the other text that I'm going to be reading is going to be a sermon by a man named Orson Pratt. I believe he is one of the earliest apostles of the LDS Church. And the topic that's going to be addressed is polygamy. But the issue of polygamy goes much deeper than whether or not it's alright if a man can have more than one wife. It goes much deeper than that, much deeper than simply a practice, but it goes much deeper to salvation, to issues of being saved. And so I'm just going to jump right into it. I'm going to read Official Declaration, and then I'm going to read the sermon given by Orson Pratt. I believe the sermon was given at around 1850. And it's a sermon given by one of the leaders of the LDS Church to the layman of the LDS Church. And, you know, I, I do have to say those sermons are pretty, they're pretty well spoken, very well written, uh, very entertaining to read, to say the absolute least. They're very engaging. And the sermon comes from a very large set of books called the Journal of Discourses. Uh, you can get that on Audible, all 26 volumes for like $10. I highly recommend it, and I highly recommend picking up a triple of Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants of Pearl of Great Price. Those are the LDS scriptures, and I'm going to begin reading the official declaration at the back of Doctrine and Covenants, and we are going to examine that once I am done reading it. Official Declaration 1 begins... To whom it may concern, press dispatches having been sent from, for political purposes from, from Salt Lake City, which have been widely published, to the effect that the Utah Commission, in their recent report to the Secretary of the Inferior, alleged that plural marriages are still being solemnized, and that 40 or more such marriages have been contracted in Utah since last June or during the past year. Also that in public discourses, the leaders of the church have taught, encouraged, and urged the continuance of the practice of polygamy. I, therefore, as president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, do hereby, in the most solemn manner, declare that these charges are false. We are not teaching polygamy or plural marriage, nor permitting any person to enter into its practice, and I deny that either 40 or any other number of plural marriages have, during that period, been solemnized in our temples or in any other place in the territory. One case has been reported in which the parties allege that the marriage was performed in the endowment house in Salt Lake City in the spring of 1889, but I have not been able to learn who performed the ceremony. Whatever was done in this manner was without my knowledge. 
In consequence of this alleged occurrence, the endowment house was, by my instructions, taken down without delay. Inasmuch as laws have been enacted by Congress forbidding plural marriages, which laws have been pronounced constitutional by the court of last resort, I hereby declare my intention to submit to those laws and to use my influence with the members of the church over which I preside to have them do likewise. There is nothing in my teachings to the church or in those of my associates during the time specified which can be reasonably con construct construed to, in to inculcate or encourage polygamy. And when any elder of the church has used language which appeared to convey any such teaching, he has been promptly removed. And I now publicly declare that my advice to the Latter-day Saints is to refrain from contracting any marriage forbidden by the law of the land. This declaration was given by Wilford, Wilford Woodruff, President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. President Lorenzo Snow offered the following. I move that, recognizing Wilford Woodruff as the President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the only man on the earth at the present time who holds the keys of the sealing ordinances, we consider him fully authorized by virtue of his position to issue the manifesto which has been read in our hearing and which is dated September 24, 1890, and that as a church and general conference assembled, we accept his declaration concerning plural marriages as, as authoritative and binding. The vote to sustain the foregoing motion was unanimous. Salt Lake City, Utah, October 6, 1890. Excerpts from three addresses by President Wilford Woodruff regarding the manifesto. The Lord will never permit me or any other man who stands as president of this church to lead you astray. It is not in the prom it is not in the promulgate. It is not in the mind of God. If I were to attempt that, the Lord would remove me out of my place, and so he will any other man who attempts to lead the children of men astray from the oracles of God and from their duty. 61st Seminannual General Conference of the Church, Monday, October 6, 1890, Salt Lake City, Utah. Reported in Desert Evening News, October 11, 1890, page 2. It matters not who lives or who dies or who is called to lead this church. They have got to lead it by the inspiration of Almighty God. If they do not do it that way, they cannot do it at all. I have had some revelations of late, and very important ones to me, and I will tell you what the Lord has said to me. Let me bring your minds to what is termed the Manifesto. The Lord has told me to ask the Latter-day Saints a question, and He also told me that if they would listen to what I said to them and answer the question put to them by the Spirit and power of God, they would all answer alike, and they would all believe alike with regard to this matter. The question is this. Which is the wisest course for the Latter-day Saints to pursue? To continue to accept, to continue to attempt to practice plural marriage with the laws of the nation against it and the opposition of 60 millions of people and at the cost of the confiscation and loss of all the temples and the stopping of all the ordinances therein, both for the living and the dead, and the imprisonment for the, of the first presidency and twelve and the heads of families in the church and the confiscation of personal property from personal property of the people, all of which of themselves would stop the practice, after doing and suffering what we have through our adherence to this principle to cease and practice and submit to the law, and through doing so leave the prophets, apostles, and fathers at home so that they can instruct the people and attend to the duties of the church, and also leave the temples in the hands of the saints so that they can attend to the ordinances of the gospel, both for the living and the dead." 
The Lord showed me by vision and revelation exactly what would take place if we did not stop this practice. If we had not stopped it, you would have not you would have had no use use for any of the men in this temple at Logan for for all ordinances would would be stopped throughout the land of Zion. Confusion would reign throughout Israel, and many men would be made prisoners. This trouble would have come upon the whole church, and we should have been compelled to stop the practice. Now the question is whether it should be stopped in this manner, or in the way the Lord has manifested to us, and have our prophets and apostles and fathers free men in the temples in the hands of the people, so that the dead may be redeemed. A large number has already been delivered from the prison house in the spirit world by this people. And shall the work go on or stop? This is the question I lay before the Latter-day Saints. You have to judge for yourselves. I want you to answer it for yourselves. I shall not answer it, but I say to you that that is exactly the condition we as a people would have been in had we not taken the course we have. I saw exactly what would come to pass if there was not something done. I have had this spirit upon me for a long time. But I want to say this. I should have let all the temples go out of our hands. I should have gone to prison myself and let every other man go there. Had not the God of heaven commanded me to do what I did to do what I did do. And when the hour came that I was commanded to do that, it was all clear to me. I went before the Lord and I wrote what the Lord told me to write. I leave this with you for you to contemplate and consider. The Lord is at work with us. Cage State Conference, Logan, Utah, Sunday, November 1st, 1891. Reported in Deseret Weekly, November 14th, 1891. Now I will tell you what was manifested to me and what the Son of God performed in this thing. All these things would have come to pass as God Almighty lives had not that manifesto been given. Therefore, the Son of God felt disposed to have that thing presented to the church and to the, and to the whole for purposes in his own mind. The Lord had decreed the establishment of Zion. He had decreed the finishing of this temple. He had decreed that the salvation of the living and the dead should be given in these valleys of the mountains. And Almighty God decreed that the devil should not thwart, should not thwart it. If you can understand that, that is the key to it. From a discourse at the sixth session of the dedication of the Salt Lake Temple, April 1893. Typescript of Dedicatory Services Archives, Church Historical Department, Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay, so that was all of Official Declaration 1. The declaration was given by President Wilfred Woodruff, who is the fourth president of the LDS Church, of of the Latter-day Saints Church, the Mormons. As it is now, I'm pretty sure, inappropriate, I guess, to call them Mormons now. Uh, they much, It's much, much, much more so preferred to call them Latter-day Saints. Um, yeah, there's a whole thing there. So if you ever run into a Mormon, don't call them a Mormon. Call them Latter-day Saints. Uh, it'll be, it's much more respectable to do that for them. And so, you know, they, they, they'll certainly appreciate that. But yeah, that was given by Wilford Woodruff. That was all of Declaration, Official Declaration 1. And we see in Official Declaration 1 that polygamy was being practiced by the church. We see in Wilford's, uh, later on, his discourses, he asked the church, is it better to continue to practice polygamy, to to continue to attempt to practice polygamy, and therefore lose our temples 
in which the ordinances of baptism and laying on of hands uh, for the dead take place. We lose our temples. We're no longer able to do those ordinances anymore. And if we, other consequences like people would be put in jail because it's against the law to practice polygamy, what would be better? To keep polygamy and have all that happen or to rid ourselves of polygamy, outlaw polygamy in our church and keep all of that and keep our temples, keep our ordinances, keep our men out of jail, continue to be freedmen, etc., etc. Which one is better? And he says that the revelation, that it was a revelation from God to basically say it's far better to just outlaw polygamy. And so polygamy was outlawed based on, and, and the reason why it was outlawed was because it was against the law in the United States to practice polygamy. That was against the law. And there was a lot of struggles going on in the LDS church. Uh, you know, there, there was conflict between the LDS church and the rest of America at the time because it was against the law to practice polygamy in America, and the LDS Church was practicing polygamy. And so it was better to just get rid of polygamy and continue our practices of baptizing for the dead, laying hands uh, laying uh, hands on for the dead, and so they can escape the, the spirit prison and move on to paradise. They wouldn't be able to do that anymore if they didn't if they got their temples taken away for because of uh, plural marriage. And so. God revealed that to Wilford Woodruff, and as a result, that is when polygamy was outlawed. I believe the date for the official declaration by President Wilford Woodruff was given on October 6, 1890, if I am understanding this writing, this declaration correctly, the way it's written out on the pages. Again, you'll find that at the back of Doctrine and Covenants. It's the last bit of Doctrine and Covenants. It's, uh, it's right after the final section of Doctrine and Covenants. There's two official declarations. I will not be reading the second one. We'll just stick with the first one. And the second thing I'm going to read is a sermon given by a man named Orson Pratt. The date for this sermon in Journal of Discourses is August 29th, 1852. So this is almost 40 years earlier. And this is a Mormon, a, a Mormon, this is a Latter-day Saint, a leader in the Latter-day Saint Church, preaching to laymen Latter-day Saints. And in the sermon, we have a different understanding of polygamy. And we are going to see that, and I'm going to begin reading the sermon from the beginning. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's Hopefully it'll be over in just a little bit. But yeah, here is a sermon by Orson Pratt, given on August 29th, 1852, nearly 40 years earlier before the declaration was given. It is quite unexpected to me, brethren and sisters, to be called upon to address you this forenoon, and still more so to address you upon the principle which has been named, namely, a plurality of wives. It is rather new ground for me 
that is, I have not been in the habit of publicly speaking upon the subject, and it is rather new ground to the inhabitants of the United States, and not only to them, but to a portion of the inhabitants of Europe. A portion of them have not been in the habit of preaching a doctrine of this description. Consequently, we shall have to break up new ground. It is well known, however, to the congregation before me that the Latter-day Saints have embraced the doctrine of a plurality of wives as a part of their religious faith. It is not, as many have supposed, the doctrine embraced by them to gratify the carnal lusts and feelings of man. That is not the object of the doctrine. We shall endeavor to set forth before this enlightened assembly some of the causes why the Almighty has revealed such a doctrine. Notice that. We shall endeavor to set forth before this enlightened assembly some of the causes why the Almighty has revealed such a doctrine and why it is considered a part and portion of our religious faith. And I believe that they will not, under our present form of government, I mean the government of the United States, try us for treason for believing and practicing our religious notions and ideas. I think, if I am not mistaken, that the Constitution gives a privilege to all the inhabitants of this country of the free exercise of their religious, no of their religious notions and the freedom of their faith and the practice of it. Then if it can be proven to a demonstration that the Latter-day Saints have actually embraced as a part and portion of their religion the doctrine of a plurality of wives, it is constitutional. And should there ever be laws enacted by this government to restrict them from the free exercise of this part of their religion, such laws must be unconstitutional. But, says the objector, we cannot see how this doctrine can be embraced as a matter of religion and faith. We can hardly conceive how it can be embraced only as a kind of domestic concern, something that pertains to domestic pleasures in no way connected with religion. In reply, we will show you that it is incorporated as a part of our religion and necessary for our exaltation to the fullness of the Lord's glory in the eternal world. Would you like to know the reasons? Before we get through, we will endeavor to tell you why we consider it an essential doctrine to glory and exaltation, to our fullness of happiness in the world to come. Now, that's, that's all the sermon that I'm going to read. The sermon is much longer than just that. That's the very beginning of the sermon. The sermon is, as I said, from Journal of Discourses. It's in volume one. It's not even ten sermons into the volume it's at the very beginning of it. You can look at you can look that up yourself. As I said, you can get all 26 volumes of all the sermons, uh, Journal of Discourses, for just like ten dollars, maybe twenty dollars on Kindle. And if you're an actual physical book collector, that 26 volume will look really nice on your shelf. Just just saying, it's beautiful. Especially if you get the black hardback covering. It's it's just gorgeous. I w I wish I had it, but I, I do not. But the Kindle version suffices for the purposes of this podcast. So what we heard there in that sermon was very different, to say the least, from what we see in Declaration 1 in Doctrine and Covenants, which is the scriptures of the LDS Church. The LDS Church has three scriptures, Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and Pearl of Great Price. And in Doctrine and Covenants, we have this declaration given by the fourth president of the LDS Church, Wilford Woodruff, outlawing uh, polygamy and saying we should not practice polygamy anymore for the sake of being able to keep our temples, for the sake of being able to continue ordinances, for the sake of being able to continue baptism for the dead, laying on of hands for the dead, so that we can continue to do the things that are necessary in order to attain to uh, glorification or exaltation to the fullness of God. But the problem is in the sermon that Orson Pratt gave, he also said 
Now, now, now remember, in Declaration 1, Pre President Wilford Woodruff said that it was a revelation from God to say you should not practice polygamy any longer. In Orson Pratt's sermon, Orson Pratt said that the doctrine of plurality of wives was revealed by God to them. So in one instance, you have in 1852, a revelation of God. The revelation wasn't given in 1852, but the revelation was adhered to, accepted, and practiced. And that revelation was plurality of wives. And not simply as something that, just, that should just be practiced for some earthly reason or something like that. But it is necessary to practice polygamy in order to attain to exaltation and the fullness of God, is what Orson Pratt said. He said that polygamy is necessary to attain to that in his sermon. In Declaration 1, around 40 years later, maybe like 38 years later, yeah, 38 years later, polygamy, not only is it no longer necessary, it's outlawed. It's outlawed. And they're both revelations of God. They're both revelations of God. In one instance, it is necessary for salvation to practice polygamy. And in the other instance, you're not allowed to practice polygamy. And they're both revelations of God. And this is one of the problems with LDS theology. We, we read an official declaration that it was a revelation given to Wilford Woodruff to outlaw polygamy. And that's, that's the nature of revelation in LDS theology. Something that is necessary to practice for exaltation and attaining to the fullness of God in the eternal world, in the next life. Something that is necessary one day doesn't necessarily have to be necessary the next day. God could reveal something different. He could change his mind on what is necessary to be practiced in order to attain to uh, eternal life or exaltation as the word that was used by Orson Pratt, exaltation in the fullness of God. One day something can be necessary and the next day, not only is it not necessary, it's outlawed. You cannot, you're, you're not allowed to, it, today, right now, if you are a man and you have two wives, you cannot be baptized into the LDS church. Cannot, you're barred from salvation, essentially. But Orson Pratt, back in 1850, back in 1852, said, it's necessary to practice polygamy if you want to be exalted and attain to the fullness of God. Barred from it today, necessary to have it back then. And that's the nature of revelation in LDS theology. So this isn't this this goes a lot deeper than just simply whether or not polygamy is alright. This goes to salvation issues. This goes to whether or not something needs to be done in order for someone to be saved. In order for someone to uh be glorified and enter into God's presence for all eternity.
that isn't that hasn't been consistent in LD, in in the uh, Mormon Church. It's not been the same doctrine taught all throughout their history, and that stuff like that can happen today because uh, the LDS Church they currently have and they've always had a president and the president and the prophet they're the same person the president of the LDS church is the single prophet for the LDS church as well so they're the same person and they always have a quorum of 12 apostles who work with the prophet and they always have that they always have someone living and breathing who receives direct revelation from God and that's problematic it's problematic because a prophet could come along and claim or, or say, I've, I've been given revelation from God that X, Y, and Z shouldn't be practiced. Like, say, for example, a prophet comes along and says, it's been revealed to me by God that we should no longer baptize for the dead. It's been revealed to me by God that we should no longer baptize for the dead. I mean, I know that's out there. I know that's out there. And I know a, a, a strong Mormon is not going to accept that hypothetical. I get it. But the reason why I'm giving a, a very severe hypothetical like that, and, and baptism for the dead is one of the main ordinances of the church, because the LDS church... Uh, they see themselves not only as people who are, who are to preach the gospel to those who are still living, but also to those who are dead, so that uh, people who are dead who are in the spirit prison, if they hear the gospel and they believe and repent, if they get baptized and they get the laying on of hands uh, done for them by someone who is living, they can leave the spirit prison and go to paradise. And so, you know, that they, they see themselves as people who are savior of souls who have already passed you know it's a big mission field for them you 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 could literally say and so it would be a huge startling change if a prophet were to come along and say the lord has revealed to me that we should no longer practice baptism for the dead that's crazy and i know that hypothetical is way out there and i know that hypothetical isn't going to be entertained by a by a by a devout uh, Latter-day Saint. But I would, again, point back to the fact that things that drastic did happen. Something that was necessary for salvation, polygamy, is now outlawed. Can't practice it. That's happened. That That is a on-record thing that has happened in the LDS Church. So why can't that happen again? The point is, it can happen again due to their nature of what revelation even is. Revelation doesn't have to be consistent all throughout time. In, and I think that's one of the issues that we as Christians who believe in a completed final revelation of God that is consistent throughout, that there's no God changing his mind, that there's none of that about like doctrine, you know, like we believe in faith alone. And the Apostle Paul argues that we are saved by faith and faith alone. 
and he uses Old Testament scriptures to teach that, demonstrating there is a consistency in doctrine of salvation throughout Old and New Testament and onward, and there's no changing that in the mind of God. But in LDS theology, you do have that, and I think that that is a very important talking point that we as Christians should be aware of if we ever run into a Mormon or if a Mormon comes and knocks on your door and wants to have a conversation with you about the gospel. You are able to present to them a revelation that is final, a revelation that is clear, a revelation that cannot be, um, that, that cannot be changed, essentially, at all, because God has spoken, and His Word is true, and His Word is constant, and it is going to remain the same from now until Christ returns again. The LDS Church, even though they have Book of Mormon, Doctrine, Covenants, and Pearl of Great Price, and that probably isn't ever-changing, you still have a current living prophet, and you still have those 12 apostles, and there's even an understanding, a personal revelation for every single Mormon. It doesn't matter what position you hold in the church, there is a reality, a personal revelation given to you by God because, you know, God is your father. And they have a completely different understanding of what father, of what God the Father really even means. And that, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother episode in and of itself. And so due to their understanding of revelation is, revelation revelation back then, what God has revealed back then, doesn't necessarily have to be consistent with what God reveals today. It's very clear. Saying something that is necessary for salvation at one instance, being outlawed in another instance, is not consistent revelation. That's just changing the doctrine of salvation, essentially. That is, it's changing what is necessary, what is in order, what is required to be done in order to attain to eternal life. Now, we as Christians believe that what is necessary in order to attain to eternal life, in order to attain exaltation, uh, in order to attain to the fullness of God, to use the language that LDS people use, we need to have faith in God. Faith alone, in Christ alone, what Christ has done for us, His righteousness imputed to us by faith and faith alone. That that, has, that that is not only the true doctrine of salvation, but that's always been that way. There's never been a different basis upon which someone went into the presence of God and was able to stand and be accepted as, as righteous and just other than the merit of Christ. That's the only thing that gets us access to the Father's presence for all eternity. It is the merit, the merit of Christ imputed to us by faith, and it has always been that way. It's not always been consistent in the LDS Church. And I think that's a very important talking point if you ever run into a Mormon or if they come and knock on your door. So just wanted to try something new for the podcast. I've just been reading stuff um, and not commentating on it at all for I don't know how long and I've really been enjoying doing that but you know just trying different things and seeing different directions that I could go with this podcast and I wanted to talk about this for a while and I hope you all enjoyed it I hope this was educational for you
And I hope you tune back in for the next episode whenever that will come out. And you can follow me on Twitter at From Every Tribe to get updates and to just see me active in the Twitter world. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. God bless.